Before today's topic, a quick disclaimer. The stories and data we share come from the states that we practice in and the experiences we personally had, which can differ greatly across our country and certainly the globe. This is not a professional advice show. So get comfy and let's discuss death. Welcome to Mort Mike, a down-to-earth discussion on death and dying. I'm Jem. And I'm Red. And this week we are your, well, we're your funeral directors. <laughs> As we've mentioned time and again, death never comes to anyone in an easy-to-manage interval. Even when a prognosis is given, there's never an exact date and time that can be gleaned. So many times do I pick up the line at the funeral home and hear, we just don't know what to do after a death occurs. Not everyone makes prearrangements for themselves, which often leaves their families with not just a financial burden, but the burden of selecting funeral services without a list of wishes to go on. This week, we're hoping to clear up what to expect when you have a death in the family and walk you through all those first steps. That was like the first thing my brother asked me when I told him that we were doing this podcast. Like right when we first started, I was like, is there anything that you like have questions about death or like whatever just give me some ideas and he was like if someone died in our family tomorrow i would have no idea what to do and that's honestly super true for like most of americans really yeah i think so because i think a lot of what you hear um people regretting is like they didn't have any plans they were just kind of like stumbling around calling all of these numbers calling all of these places um i think it's a really good idea to have a general understanding of like the the steps, the like step-by-step process of like what needs to happen if you wake up and you look to your right and someone's dead right next to you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. And when you're in that moment and you're grieving, you don't really want to be like Googling like what to do when someone dies. <laughs> right. Definitely one of those things you want to try to get ahead of the game on. Yeah. So we're going to go through it with you guys today. Kind of like a... Uh, um, so grandma died, now what, 101 kind <laughs> <Yeah>. of thing. <laughs> so I think a good place to start is with like an unexpected discovery of death. So not like someone you're expecting to die at a hospital or on, under hospice or anything like that. Uh, so step one, don't panic. <laughs> <laughs> Easier said than done, I feel like. I believe so. <laughs> like Red said, like... Uh, a lot of people die out of like a hospital or a hospice setting. It's unfortunate and usually it's pretty tragic. Um, so when these things happen, obviously there's going to be a lot of emotions and people all react in different ways. Like I've seen it all. Trust me. It, it can be helpful if you just like don't this isn't like a normal thing that happens. Like don't don't panic. <laughs> I feel terrible telling you guys this, but it's it's you know, there's no better way to say it. I mean, and even if you and like your immediate family don't know what's going on, like all of the emergency responders and last responders like us, uh, we deal with this all the time. This is not unnatural. There are definitely people out there that can help you with all of this. So like it's not like you're going to call someone in our fields and they're going to be like, uh, what? She died at home? And so <laughs> know that yeah. that we're prepared for situations like this to help. And then if, you know, like, obviously, if you are experiencing strong emotions and something is happening with your body and you can't really comprehend what's going on, it's really helpful to enlist a person that is of calmer mind, maybe another family member or a close friend. Um, a lot of the times, and I think Red, um, you get the same, we get a call from like, you know, a, f a neighbor or like... Um, like the son-in-law or someone who's a little bit more removed from the situation saying like, um, you know, my dad died, the whole family's here, what do we do next? I think it's it's really helpful for, for there to be like a designated calm person in the situation. <laughs> <laughs> so then once you have this helper or friend, if you're not able to do it yourself, the second step is always going to be calling the police after you've assessed the situation. Um, that that is the first step. If you call a funeral home or anywhere else, they're going to tell you the same. You need to call the police first. So this would be for any death where your person is not on hospice or if they're not in the hospital. 
if they were in the hospital and they come home and they're not on hospice yet, you still have to call the police. So any unexpected death that happens um, outside of like the direct supervision of a nurse or a doctor, um, call the police because that is the law. Yeah, this was not a story that happened to myself, but a coworker I used to work with, um, apparently a family had showed up uh, to the funeral home and walk in. It's just like, hey, you know, we had a death in the family. And she's like, okay, you know, goes through the rigmarole. And it's like, okay, so uh, what hospital or where where are we going to bring your grandpa into our care? And they're like, oh, he's out in the van. We drove him here. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. So yeah, you cannot skip those first important steps. (laughs) And, you know, I bet they did that because they're like, well, we can take care of this ourselves. And, you know, Grandpa was going to die anyway, so it's okay. But then, so your van becomes a crime scene. Like, this is now a crime. Like, now the medical investigator has to come out. Now the ME has to come out. Like, they've just created a crime bringing their grandpa to the (laughs) funeral home. Oh, no. (laughs) That's so awful, but I can definitely see that happen in in certain areas. That's really funny. So after you call the police, the police are probably going to show up, um, at least one of them, even if it's just something like, oh, you know, my husband had a heart condition and, you know, we woke up and he's dead one day. The police are probably still going to come show up just because it's, you know, protocol. And they're going to call someone like a death investigator or a coroner, depending on where you live. So that would be me coming to your house. And so basically the police are going to show up. They're going to ask you all their police questions as they do. And then either a coroner or a medical investigator is going to show up and they're going to ask a bunch more questions. Usually it's going to be questions about, you know, um, what happened? You know, where did you find the deceased? Um, Did they have any medical history? Do they have any like family medical history that, you know, would be of note? Like if there's heart Um, disease in the family or, you know, a history of cancer or something like this. Um, And, you know, once the the coroner or the investigator kind of determines like what's going on, there's a few different things that can happen. Um, If it's a natural death, like say your husband is like 65 years old and he has a history of, you know, coronary artery disease, hypertension, blah, blah, blah diabetes, um, it is likely that he would be released directly to the funeral home because because of his medical history. We kind of know that he probably either had a heart attack. There's like a 99% chance that he had a heart attack um, or like any other medical thing that could have, you know, caused his heart to stop beating. And the medical examiner at this point is comfortable to sign off the death certificate with this information and have him sent off to the funeral home. On the other hand, if it's something more suspicious, something more nefarious, like say like a drug overdose or a um an accident, like if a freak accident happened, fell down the stairs air quotes. Yeah, falling is a big thing especially for older people if an older person falls and like hits their head and then like I don't know, 3 hours later they're dead, that would be you know, in in a lot of counties and a lot of places, I think that would be at least an external exam, like an autopsy to make sure that they weren't like, you know, beat to death or something like this. Um, it's just like stuff like this where we have to make sure that the death is that the death, the cause of death is known and that it's, you know, not, you're, you know, no one's getting away with murder. So say, you know, there is some sort of suspicion, um, something bad happened, or, you know, if it was an accident, say, like, you know, they're found at the bottom of the stairs, and we don't know if they fell down, we don't know if someone pushed them down, they're gonna be taken in for an autopsy. Um, And usually the coroner or the medical examiner investigator will explain to you where they're going, what's going on. I will tell you that they cannot tell you what time they died. They can give you a rough estimate based on postmortem changes within the body, but all that CSI stuff that says that, oh, uh, according to the pooling of the blood and blah, 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 they died at exactly 3.04 p.m. That's, yeah. not, that's not a thing. That's just movie magic. <laughs> yeah, it's movie magic. Um, so they cannot tell you what time they died. They can give you maybe like a three-hour window, four-hour window. Um if if things are handy dandy and perfect and they cannot tell you the exact cause of death um that is the coroner would be um 
more in authority to tell you the exact cause of death because the coroner is going to be signing the death certificate. But something when someone like an investigator or a deputy coroner, um, we aren't really allowed to tell you like what the cause of death would be. Um, but we can kind of, if we're looking at something and we kind of know and we have our experience, we can kind of tell what's going on. Um, so anyways, the person's coming back for an autopsy. Autopsies usually happen in like a perfect world. Try to get the autopsy done within a day or two. A lot of underserved communities um, have a really big delay on autopsies because of the lack of staff and, and personnel. Um, so I actually was just at, in an area where autopsies were taking like a week to get done. Oh, my God. Yeah. I can't imagine delaying services that long. That's crazy. Um, so once the autopsy is done, very likely you will have the phone number of the medical examiner and you can call them if you have any questions or if you have any concerns or like if you remembered something that you forgot to tell them, go ahead and call the medical examiner office. Um, I think there's kind of like a fear. It's like, oh, I can't call the medical examiner like they're too busy or like, you know, they don't they won't tell me anything. A lot of medical examiners will talk to family members and try to like work with them in a way that's like, you know, explaining to them what's going on. Or if they have concerns about the cause of death, maybe they can like collaborate a little bit and like, you know, address these concerns. Um, so just feel comfortable to reach out to the medical examiner office if you have any questions at all. I think, you know, that's a disconnect. Like people don't feel comfortable doing that, but you definitely can do that. I've honestly met some really good medical examiners with great bedside manner. So mm-hmm. that's definitely an option. Definitely. And so once the autopsy is done, it's pretty much the same as if someone had died at the hospital or if someone had died, um, under the care of like a physician, the body will be released to the funeral home and then the funeral home will take over from there. <laughs> so in medical examiner cases, um, who exactly is signing the death certificates and what's what's the whole process when it's not a hospital involved? Right. So the medical examiner or the coroner, depending on like what your system is in your state or county, um, will sign a death certificate. And then that death certificate will be filed in this big, wonderful program called EDRS. Um, I think most states run on this now. I'm not 100% sure. But basically, it's a huge electronic database where all the death certificates go and all the vital information goes. And it's shared between funeral homes and like medical examiner's offices, hospitals. Um, so really, it's all up to the ME to get that all filled out and then pass it on to the funeral home. And then the funeral home will take care of all of the extra like stuff for you, like all the copies that you're going to need, you know, stuff like that. So that covers the base of what to do if it's unexpected. But what if it's expected? What if what if your loved one is under hospice at home or in a facility or under hospital uh, watch or even nursing homes, um, especially when there's like an illness involved or just end of life care, that kind of thing? So this is another situation that you should always be leaning on those that are around you to take care of you in a situation like this. So uh, your nurses are going to be a huge uh, benefit to your family, not only for the care that they give to your loved one before they pass, but especially after the fact. Definitely rely on your nurses for help. Um, You can tell them your selected funeral home ahead of time. That way they can actually make the call for you when somebody passes. So it takes a little bit of that um, tension off of you that all of those things are being handled behind the scenes. A lot of the first calls that we get are from like hospice nurses. I've even had some calls from police before uh, as first calls. So Mm -hmm. definitely lean on those around you. That's literally what they're there for is to help. Yeah, it is really helpful to have a funeral home in mind if you know that You know, no one likes to think about it. And we'll talk about this later. But if you have a funeral home in mind, definitely tell the nurses, tell the police if they show up, like you won't have to deal with it. And the process will be so much smoother for everyone. Absolutely. Because the nurses also can give us a lot of the information that we need that we might be asking you for anyway. So um, that's definitely something that's helpful for us as well. Something that I like to try to make very poignant to people that are in this type of situation is to spend time with your loved one. And that seems like a no-brainer, but uh, so many people like to call and like get things started with the funeral home. Uh, but without imp- like any pre-arrangements, like set-in-stone pre-arrangements set ahead of time, I feel like this is kind of unnecessary. Um, if you need to get the pricing, 
get the basics. That's fine. But like coming in to select things in the week leading up to someone's death, I think isn't always a great idea. Uh, like we can't sign a contract with you or do cremation uh, paperwork ahead of time. So like you might only be able to just pick out a casket and flowers. Um, but by the time that somebody's passed away, I've had so many of those families change those things anyway. So it, it just seems like a lot of extra work for the family that takes them away from their loved one. Like I actually was making an imminent arrangement with a few daughters that like we were sitting down maybe 20 minutes and they got a call from the nurse that they had missed their mother's death and hospice. Wow. So, yeah. Which is, it's heartbreaking. And like, I, I have taken that call and set that appointment and I'm like, oh, I really wish they weren't coming in. They said that she's going to die in the next 24 to 48 hours. And so. Yeah, they should be with her. Yeah, exactly. So like all of these things, it, it honestly is more work for us to sit down, meet with you for 45 minutes to get that information and then have to go over it again when you come in. So it's easier for families, honestly, just to make the arrangements when it's time uh, instead of just like an imminent arrangement in like the week before someone's passing i like to have everything mapped out in front of me so i get it but like this time is so precious to spend with your family member i also want to make kind of a quick point when your family member dies in hospice it's okay to spend time with the body we kind of talked about this in our death positivity episode i think um but i think it's really important to just kind of sit there and grieve as long as you need to within reason um and just to be present in that moment you don't have to as soon as your dad dies you don't have to call the funeral home like within five minutes like it's okay you know they're not going anywhere um obviously after a while they're going to be a little concerned about decomposition of the body so you can't take like a day to like mourn your dad you should call the funeral home before that but really like an hour or so if the hospice allows it if you know maybe you're taking care of the death at home um i think it's okay to kind of wait on calling the funeral home like the second that the death happens or you know if you do call the funeral home just tell them you know, can you give us like an hour or can you give us like, I don't know, some time? I think a lot of people are receptive to that. And I think it's good to have that time to be there and be in that moment. I think so, too, because I, th I think so many people are uncomfortable with like dead bodies, but it's like that person was just breathing five minutes ago. Like not much has changed. Like spend that time. That sounded weird. Of course, a lot has changed. They're dead. Um, <laughs> I mean, like physic, like chemically. I get where you're coming from. I was like, yeah, chemically, not much has changed. Right. <laughs> They'll be okay for like a, a little while. You know, it doesn't have to be such a rush to like get everything. I feel like if there's a rush, it's like, you know, you never want to regret like, oh, I wish I spent more time, you know, saying goodbye or like, you know. I wish I wasn't so stressed out during that moment, you know, like it's it's okay to just like chill sometimes. Absolutely. And um, another weird situation that happened with like imminent arrangements that <laughs> was awkward. Um, personally, not myself yet again, another funeral director that I've worked with. Um, there was an imminent arrangement that they made and they're like, well, we want to set times, you know, and dates because we got people that need to come in from out of town and we know that he's going to die in, you know, 24 hours anyway. So they set the services and this guy, he lived <laughs> past his services that the family had set. <laughs> like, Good for him. That is so funny. <laughs> You could never predict when death is going to happen, guys. Like, never, ever. <laughs> it doesn't happen. Yeah, honest, but also kind of, like, shady on the family side. Like, why are you trying to set services ahead of time? Like, that's kind of cart before the horse, like, <laughs> situation. So now that somebody has passed away, the first contact with the funeral home needs to be made. If a hospice nurse calls the funeral home for you, uh, just wait to hear back from the funeral home. You don't need to make a double call when a situation like that happens. Uh, a lot of the times it takes us some processing time to be able to get our transfer staff mobilized and uh, all the information dispersed to all of our staff. So you don't want to make a secondary call and accidentally give us a second first call before we're able to get that into our system. Uh, however, if a hospital tells you that they're going to call the funeral home, I don't always assume that they do. I've had situations in the past where a helpful nurse at the hospital was trying to be helpful, but maybe didn't know hospital protocol and let the family know, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll call the funeral home and let them know that, you know, grandma passed away. Uh, and I've I've had actual angry calls from families saying, well, why hasn't my mother been picked up? Why hasn't 
you know, my loved one been picked up and it's like, well, we never got a call from the hospital. Uh, so not all hospitals actually do that. They might just be saying that to be helpful. Mm hmm. Yeah, and like hospice is very different. So I I don't want to. I'm just assuming everyone knows what hospice is. But if you don't know what hospice is, it's having your someone in like terminal end of life care in your house. So usually they're on hospice means that the company is like coming to take care of them. That's the hospice company. So you're gonna have a nurse that's like in charge of like coming to your house and taking care of this person. Um, or if you're like a medical uh, person, you know, maybe you can work something out that way. Anyways, there's a nurse in charge of you. So usually that's a different situation where the nurse is going to be at your house. You're going to see them taking care of like whatever needs to be taken care of, or you're going to trust them because they've been coming and they know your, um, you know, your loved one. Hospitals are a bigger thing, and it's you know thing. It's easier for things to fall through the cracks, to be honest. Um, Especially with shift changes and all yeah. sorts of stuff like that. So it's good to just make make sure on that kind of stuff if it's just like a hospital situation. But if you find yourself being the person that has to make the first contact with the funeral home, it's always best to call first. Do not just show up. This is like a, I'm putting this in here. This is a selfish request of mine. Don't just drive to the funeral home and walk in and say, all right, I, need, I demand arrangements for my loved one. <laughs> because, I mean, our days are very like strictly you know, cordoned out for what we need to do. If it's a small funeral home that only has like two directors on for the day and they've already got an arrangement and a service, they might not be able to help you even. Like, I know I've had to DJ arrangements at the same time because I already had one and the family like refused not to be seen when they showed up. So we can best help when we have the ahead of time call so we can get the information we need, get the paperwork drafted up, make the calls we need to make and get the information we need to get for you ahead of time. It, it Even an hour, goodness, even an hour can do so much on our end to be able to prepare to meet your family. And that's only going to help your family and it's only going to make your experience more smooth. If you make that call first, please don't show up to the funeral home. We hate walk-ins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the funeral directors aren't just sitting around like waiting for you to walk in and ask them to do things. Like yeah. <laughs> they got they got they got their stuff going on. So we talked a little bit about this earlier, but say your loved one does have an autopsy, and this doesn't even have to be like a forensic autopsy. Say they are in the hospital for cancer and the doctor is asking you if you want an autopsy done on them for research, for, you know, um, a lot of times clinical autopsies are done to like correlate treatment with like the progress of the disease. Um, so they can better understand like, oh, we treated this person this way and this is what the cancer looked like, you know, after they died. So, you know, what can we do differently in the future? It's actually really kind of cool how they can like correlate things like that. And, you know, it's why we kind of advocate for like a clinical autopsy in those kinds of situations. Anyways, a little autopsy soapbox there. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, if your loved one does have an autopsy, um, keep in mind that autopsy results will take up to 45 to 60 days to get like a final report done. A lot of time in forensics, toxicology, which is like determining what kind of drugs were in someone's body at the time of death, will take six to eight weeks just to get like, you know, some sort of like pending report or whatever. So it really does take quite a while for all of these like medical things to go through and for the reports to be finalized. Um, so like I said, you can call the medical examiner, you can call your hospital, don't be afraid to do that. But just keep in mind that sometimes you know, you're not going to get a cause of death or you're not going to get like the result that you want, like a week after someone has died. It, it might take a, a couple months, to be honest. And I know that this usually throws a wrench into life insurance situations because they want to know cause of death before they give out the money. Mm -hmm. But, you know, calling the funeral home and badgering them about are the death certificates updated yet? You know, like it, it's not going to change anything. Like science only goes so fast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And I think, you know, I'm not an insurance expert, but um, a lot of the times the medical examiner will put pending or, you know, they'll put like a kind of like a preliminary cause of death. And you can use that for your insurance documents and all of this stuff. Um, I think there's obviously this is a common thing. So there's there's ways to go about doing this. 
So the next step after you have called the funeral home or uh, have made arrangements on the phone to come in today, the next day, whatever have you, um, this is kind of like a little go-to list of things you should be prepared for. Um, the funeral home should go through these things with you, um, but just so you're kind of getting a little heads up here. Um, th like I had mentioned, they're most likely going to be asking you for preliminary information over the phone. Um, so like things like vital statistics, so where someone lived, their social security, stuff like that, uh, that'll help them generate the death certificate. And honestly, a lot of our paperwork, um, will ask for those things too. Other things to consider bringing in would be a photo for like an obituary or photos. If you would like the funeral home to make a video, some type of tribute, um, to be played at a service, you're definitely, you're definitely want to get. You're definitely wanting, oh my God, <laughs> you're definitely going to want to bring in clothing. Um, it could be all, depending on the services that you want to have, it might not necessitate clothes if you're just doing like a simple cremation. But I know for some people, it actually puts them at ease knowing that their loved one was cremated in clothing that they were comfortable in instead of just like an open butt flap <laughs> hospital, <laughs> hospital gown. gown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yes, we do dress in full, so you have to bring pants uh, just because you can't see what's underneath uh, the foot cap of the casket does not mean that they cannot have pants going to get buried. Um, underclothing. Yeah, Y'all put socks and shoes on too. Yeah, honestly, if you bring them, it's not like we just toss them in the trash. Like if you bring us clothes, we are going to dress your loved one in them. Underclothes are important as well. So, um, you know, undies, underoos, and <laughs> especially in situations where there's like autopsies or a lot of heavy bruising from IVs and things, it's a good idea to bring high collars, uh, high neck, like no V-neck things and like long sleeves just to kind of cover those types of things up. Other documents that are important to bring uh, would be if you are using a life insurance policy uh, for the funeral home to make a claim against for the funeral contract, you bring in the life insurance company and the life insurance number for the policy and know who the beneficiaries are. Um, not a lot of life insurance companies will allow funeral homes to call in and ask for that information because we're not the beneficiary. So it's very important for you to get for you to give us that information. DD-214 or the uh, military discharge paperwork, honorable discharge, is another thing to bring in that allows us to get uh, military honors and a flag for your loved one. And uh, power of attorney paperwork may be necessary to bring in um, if the power of attorney is held over a living next of kin. So say a husband dies, the wife uh, would be the next of kin, but she has advanced dementia and really isn't able to make decisions, you would have to bring in that power of attorney paperwork to say, okay, well, she can't make these arrangements and sign for things. Uh, now the next of kin would be the children or whatever have you. The last few things to consider bringing in uh, would be a payment method. I often sit down with people that are like, ah, I forgot the checkbook at home or whatever have you. Uh, so bring in your method of payment. And then the kind of a like last, not so important, but can be helpful thing uh, would be names for the obituary because the funeral home is going to help you write it. Uh, but spelling is obviously very important. And a lot of uh, younger folks have very interesting spellings to their names now. So it is always a good idea to look those up ahead of time. Younger folks, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I didn't name my my kid Kaylee with a silent like G H. <laughs> That's so funny. And I did just want to ask. So I remember in mortuary science school, they hit on this so hard for some reason, but I don't know why. Um, in terms of obtaining vital information from the next of kin, do you need to know the decedent's? What is it? The maternal? No. Maternal maiden name. Do you need to know the decedent's mother's maiden name for the death certificate? Absolutely. We need to know so many maiden names. Uh, we need to know the maiden name of the deceased. If that person had a maiden name, we need to know the maiden name of a spouse. We need to know the maiden name of the mother of the deceased. So lots of maiden names. Good things to know if you need to find it. It's on a birth certificate. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, things that aren't important to bring would be prearrangement paperwork. Uh, most of the time, I mean, like 99.9% of the time, the funeral home can just pull the prearrangements. They have their own copies, so you don't need to dig around and find it. And like cemetery information, because we will call the cemetery, let them know the name, and they can look up things on their end. So I've had families like bring in like contracts from the cemetery, and they're like, so what does this mean? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't work at that cemetery, <laughs> so I'm just going to call them. Ah, <laughs> oh, that's so nice. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, one more important thing to do, especially, you know, after someone passes, a lot of times families are gathered together. So a really good thing to do at, during a time like that when everyone is present is to just talk about what you want to do uh, for your loved one's celebrations of life. Um, don't wait until you get into the funeral home the next day to do it because that ends up being like an hour long conversation where people aren't really getting anything done. They're just kind of going back and forth. I've actually had to end arrangements because... The family just didn't know what they wanted. I don't know what they expected to get done when they came, <laughs> not yeah. knowing what kind of services they wanted. So take that time when you're together to actually talk it over a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that's important, too. I just wanted to say, like, if you I don't know, I have I had like a life insurance policy when I was employed somewhere, but like no one in my family knew about it. So I feel like, you know, these are questions that you should figure out like before the death of a person especially if it's an expected death like get all that stuff together um before they die or you know with your family like you know do they have life insurance where is the birth certificate like all this stuff is stuff you want to get like arranged before the death because once the death happens like it's debatable whether you're going to be there or not you know present enough to make all these decisions absolutely i've actually had families bring in like the binder tm like where their loved one even though they didn't prearrange they got everything everything together in a binder like the huge like two inch binder of stuff that you would need to make funeral arrangements like these real organized that. families it's That's crazy so great <laughs> <laughs> One last side note on this. Um, it's usually best not to call churches and like get things scheduled ahead of time before the arrangement conference without the funeral director being involved because you don't know what type of schedule the funeral home is able to accommodate. Uh, if they have a visitation time that would coincide with your selected day um, or it, is the cemetery even open that day. So it's always best to just, if you have contact information for your clergy, you can go ahead and just bring that with you to the funeral home and we'll take care of getting all of those things scheduled. That is literally our job is to create these services. So we call churches, we call cemeteries, we do all of that. Yeah, let them do their jobs for you. Um, <laughs> You're literally paying us to do this, so you might as well take yeah, advantage of it. Let them do it. Um, speaking of crazy arrangements, though, I know there's some like, you know, do's and do nots of the arrangement conference. And honestly, I know a lot of people have never been to an arrangement conference. So I think Red has some tips for us here. Yep. There's actually a factoid that I heard somewhere sometime, probably read it in a magazine somewhere. That the average person actually makes only two arrangements like directly in their life, like not just attends, but like makes arrangements. So this isn't something that a lot of people are well practiced on. So good things to know for the arrangement conference itself. Um, as a personal favor to us, do not bring your entire clan with you. It is very <laughs> difficult to get anything done when you have like three generations of people in one room and it's just like, okay, I like this poem. Everyone go around the room. Everyone in the room, go around and read it. Make sure this is the right one. It's just like, okay, there's literally no one in the entire world has time for that. Not even the people that are coming to make the arrangements. So and there it's is easier never, to stay focused. There is never Sorry, a time in the world where like eight people are going to agree on one thing. Like never will yes. this happen. <laughs> very true. Very, very true. So bring your like most core decision makers. And especially if you talked about stuff ahead of time, you don't need to bring everybody. So it'll be a lot easier for you to focus and for us to be able to get things done with you if it's kept to a minimum. You can expect to be at the funeral home anywhere from like an hour to two hours, uh, pretty typically um, guarding any kind of crazy requests or difficult services. Um, so don't be setting appointments like after the fact uh, until you know for sure that you're going to be done just so you're not feeling rushed through the arrangement. And I, I, I'm sorry, I feel bad. Like, I feel like this entire section is like, do like, don't do's instead of do's. <laughs> like yeah, things that I I've seen. I think it's helpful though. Yeah, I think it's helpful, you know. Learn, learn from the, the, what is it? What's the saying? 
Learn from the worst. I don't know. <laughs> Am I the worst? <laughs> no, I'm talking about your worst arrangements. <laughs> there we go. So definitely let the arranger lead the arrangement conference. We will definitely get to that question. I promise we go through everything with you. I mean, obviously, feel free to ask your questions. It's important. Um, there are no stupid questions. So if you have something that's in your mind, I, I would rather you not regret not asking it than taking a second to step off and you know answer something you might think is, quote unquote, silly. But we definitely go through a lot of the things that you're probably going to talk to. So I've, I've had people sit across from me and they're like, OK, so uh, the cast get that was like whoa 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 slow down bud i don't even know your deceased loved one's name yet <laughs> like <laughs> um but to give you an idea of what the schedule for an arrangement looks like and obviously every arranger is different but my order of operations is as thus i gather vitals if i haven't on the phone already i establish a service schedule we go over obit information we do merchandise selection so casket or alternative container vault or urn flowers printing catering dvds etc we do paperwork to conclude the business portion and then I kind of do some big picture stuff where it's like what do you what are you going to expect the day of services and I usually send families home with some form of homework something that they need to get done the task list so I I like to go through that at the very end so it's fresh in their minds for what they need to get done Hmm. That sounds very nice. I would like you to do all of my arrangements, Red. I am painfully structured, and it, it I am very inflexible on the order of operations most yeah, of the time. I was just like listening to you list all that off, and I was like, that sounds lovely. That sounds so nice. <laughs> Which part of the brain are we? Are we left brain or right brain? Or <laughs> very type A personalities in this in this podcast. Oh God, I wish. <laughs> okay. So when going through the service portion, um, something to keep in mind, choose visiting hours uh, for the visitation that don't exhaust you or your elderly family members. Um, and don't get too hung up on times that everyone can make. Focus on your immediate family first. Yeah, I mean, like I said, no one is ever going to agree on anything and no one can ever make it to everything. Like, don't feel like you need to cater to, like, you know, your dad's, like, you know, friend from high school or whatever, like just, just make it about you and your family. Like that's what's most important during this time. I feel like. Yeah, absolutely. And like being at the funeral home for even four hours for a visitation can be extremely draining considering a lot of times you have a funeral and a burial to go through, go to the next day. So mm -hmm. definitely either put a break in between it so you can get something to eat or just make it shorter and sweeter. That way people are going to come like they will, they will come to the times that you have set forth. So don't feel like you're so many people are missing out on coming just because yeah. you set a certain time. Mm hmm. As you go through things, don't get too lost in the weeds. Small details are for us to consider, not for you guys. That's why we're there. Uh, if <laughs> I, It is crazy to me what people get hung up on in the arrangement conference room. You'd think it's big stuff, right? You know, mm -hmm. like, oh, what, what casket are we going to pick? Or what dates and times are we going to do? I like... I swear to you, like 50% of the time I will sit down with a family and they will select flowers for like an hour. Wow. Just, just flowers? Just flowers. Oh, or printing. God. Like I've had people like <laughs> oh, we have. printing. Yeah. Like I've had people God. read like through all 100 of our prayers and poems and it's just like, oh, my sweet baby Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like a piece of paper that, you know, most people are going to, sorry, throw away or, you know, you're going to stick it in a folder somewhere and forget about it. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> honestly, though, I mean, you're not going to remember the flowers that you bought for your you know father's funeral in five to 10 years. So don't get too hung up on the little things when there's so many other things that you have to worry about. Um, I'd like to do this, like I mentioned like I mentioned before, I like to make a list for the families to take home of things to do. But if director is not actively writing you one, it's always nice to write yourself one as you go. Because as soon as you, it's like The Sims, as soon as you walk through that door frame leading to the outside, you are going to forget half of the things that you just talked about. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's a lot of information for like an hour period. Yeah. I mean, essentially, you're cramming what you would do for even a wedding down into like a two-hour arrangement and you get you know months to figure out a wedding so mm -hmm. it's a it's information overload like crazy 
a lot of the times after you've left the funeral home from your initial arrangement, you're probably going to have follow-up appointments somewhere else. So places like the cemetery to finalize things with them or even buy a plot to begin with. Um, the church, you will also most likely have to follow up with the church at some point. A lot of times they want you to get in contact with them to personalize the services a little bit more. Uh, they usually will reach out to you too. So that is something that you'd probably have on your schedule of things in the coming days or weeks before your services. And always remember through all of this, your funeral director is your liaison. We are literally here to help. Like if you th- you're just confused, like, oh, I forgot what I was supposed to do today. Call us. It's not even a big deal for our either ourselves or our administrative assistants to just, hey, what did I need to do today? And we can walk you through stuff or, oh, man, I really don't know if I can make this call right now to the church about this. Have us do it for you. Like, please lean on your funeral director. It's what we enjoy doing for our life and we want to help people. Yeah, I do think that um, a lot of the times funeral, like whenever I worked in a funeral home and there's always this like one like widower who just calls all the time and maybe it's a little annoying, but it's kind of endearing. Just they're like, you know, like, Oh, like I thought I was going to bring over Patricia's clothes today, but you know, something happened and I was wondering if blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Just like, you can call the funeral home like whenever you want, because I assure you there's a little old man that's calling, like blowing up their phone like <laughs> 10 times more than you are. So don't worry about that. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> especially when people get like, you know, their life partner is gone. Like they kind of miss talking to people, I think, too. It was yeah. really bad during COVID. People were oh, cooped God. up inside. They were calling us for anything under the sun. Yeah, that I can't imagine. But yeah, so call. If, if you are afraid to call, someone has called about it before, so don't worry. <laughs> so a step in the process that sometimes doesn't always happen for everyone, but is definitely like a very unique experience, is the viewing of a dead body of a deceased person. If the deceased passed away, you know, at a hospital, you know, from an accident, unexpectedly, whatever it is, they're at the ME office um, or they're at the hospital, a lot of the times um, offices of decedent affairs or any sort of like medical examiner, um, family counselor, social worker, um, or admin um, can arrange a viewing for the family. Um, And the reason why, you know, some people might do this is because it's a really um, big step in closure, especially if the death was unexpected or kind of traumatic in a way, um, to see the body very close to the, the actual death of the person. So this is before any makeup is done, before any embalming is done, um, just like the person as they are. There are some places that cannot do this for you or they, they don't have a policy for it or they don't have the facilities for it. Um, but in places where they can do this for you, it's definitely something to ask for if that is something that f- you feel like will help you in your grief. Um, I I will just say that it's not – sometimes it's very, very, very difficult because the body isn't always very pleasant Um, to look at because of like maybe the circumstances of the death or like maybe the time that the body has been dead or some you know disease processes what they could have done to the body Um, I think you just need to use your best judgment so if you uh, let's say you get a call that your mom passed away and she's been dead in her house for like I don't know three or four days I I would recommend not viewing the body just because of the state of decomposition that she's most likely is in um what we tell people is that you want to remember your person like with the best memories that you have of them if the last thing that you see of them is like this bloated like face that doesn't even look like them anymore you're not really going to want that in your memories of them um so obviously you can do whatever you want like you know the body is your pseudo property like if you want to view them you can we just kind of really recommend like considering things like this when going into it. And then I think um, back in the day and like on TV and stuff, it's really common to see like, oh, we have to view the body for identification purposes. That isn't really the case anymore because 
people have their IDs in their pockets and the police can just like compare and contrast that way. That's kind of how we identify decedents these days. Um, We also have fingerprinting. We also have dental records for identification. A lot of the times the viewing ID, the viewing ID is not really necessary anymore. Um, So don't expect something like that um, unless you get a call from the medical examiner. Um, But like I said, a lot of Medical examiner's offices, a lot of hospitals can't really accommodate the first viewing. So sometimes that transfers over to the funeral home. And that can be a really difficult mental situation for people that maybe didn't get a chance to see their loved one at death and their first time seeing them is going to be made up in a casket after they've been embalmed. So it's it's really kind of scary. I, I hear that a lot with a lot of families that they've been so nervous for this day. Like all the extra work that they had put in during the week means nothing compared to that first viewing at the funeral home. And it, it can be kind of a spooky thing. You don't know how they're going to look. And I think it's always okay to, if you're feeling unsure or uneasy about it, just communicate with the funeral director um, when you come in, like, how does mom look? You know, how how does everything look? And they can be honest with you if maybe things aren't so good, or they can be really reassuring to let you know that, yeah, no, mom looks absolutely fantastic. You did a great job picking out clothes and casket. She looks so peaceful. I, I do try to do that myself to kind of ease people's um you know, anxieties as I walk them down the what seems like probably the longest hallway they've ever walked, um, just to tell them, you know, yeah, he he was as handsome as you probably remember, or you know, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it it can be scary, but there's a lot of things that you can just ask questions, and we can definitely be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I think it is a really big, um, big emotional moment is like seeing the dead body for the first time because it's just so jarring. Like it's very like fight or flight kind of response that we have and that's totally natural you know um but i think especially having the first viewing at a funeral home is honestly in my opinion so much better than doing it like in a hospital waiting room viewing room hospital viewing room or like at the me office or anything like this yeah it's a lot more comfortable and controlled yes so some tips uh, in regards to actually the visitation itself, um, always nice to kind of put a personal touch on things, bring things to set up and around the room, um, like knickknacks and things of your loved one, uh, family photos. I've hung, you know, family portraits on the wall where our art is. It's really nice to be able to have the room reflect the person that passed. And also getting like guests involved. Um, I do my little uh, above and beyond takeaways. So um, you know, grandma, I did one the other day. I thought it was kind of cute. Grandma and grandpa love to dance. Uh, they always went out dancing. So I printed out a few different sheets of like basic dance steps. So you could practice it with your own loved ones and kind of carry on that love of dance or like things for people to take home. I had uh, a kid that was super into building Legos. So I bought a bunch of loose Legos for people to like take one and, and think about them, keep it in their pocket. So there's, there's all sorts of really cute things that you can do Aww, or your funeral director can so do. That's so thoughtful. Funeral Director of the Year Award, it's everyone. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, go on. <laughs> oh, please. <laughs> That's so precious. But that idea is definitely something you can carry over to your own arrangement. Say if your funeral director isn't the funeral director of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and some other things you might not be thinking about at the moment, but wear comfortable or appropriate shoes. Uh, those high heel stilettos aren't going to feel so good after the first few hours. And especially if you're like sinking into the wet ground at the cemetery, you're going to be struggling. So wear some, you know, comfy clothes and take breaks for yourself. People feel trapped in that visitation room a lot of the time with guests coming in and out. It's okay to step away for a little bit, get some air, get some water, get something to eat and be human for a moment. Yeah, that's really good advice. Okay, so the final soapbox that I wanted to get on with you guys during this uh, pod today is about pre-planning and end-of-life considerations. So this is this is actually before everything that we talked about. Rewind a little bit. Um, these are things that you should definitely consider beforehand, before this even is a glint in someone's eye that they're going to be passing away. Yeah, like, uh, I mean... This is, I should be pre-planning for my death. And I'm like not, I'm like 27. Like it's not going to happen anytime soon. Knock on wood. But um, yeah, <laughs> it's, you know, there's no 
like earlier time like you know you can do it as early as you want especially just having that like binder that we talked about like the binder you can have that when you're like 30 you know because what god forbid something happens and then what is your partner just going to be like flapping around like a fish out of water like you want to have some information for them at least you know Definitely. And it starts off as something as simple as just having the talk of a lifetime. Um, I don't care if your mom doesn't want to talk about it. You got to make her talk about it. At least get their wishes down somewhere and, you know, start asking those inquisitive questions like, well, what do you what do you you know want to do or start asking those inquisitive questions of just like, well, what do you want us to do to take care of you when you pass away, mom? You know, or like, have you ever gotten any? Have you ever given any thought to cremation or burial? Just little things. Start that conversation. Yeah, even like the smallest things. Like my mom really doesn't like to talk about death at all, but I did get her to tell me that she absolutely wants a closed casket and she wants a black casket with purple daisies. That's gorgeous. And I mean, like, that's like the tiniest part of the arrangement. But like, if I know that that's what she wanted, like, I feel better. Like, I can do something for her like that. You know what I mean? It definitely creates connection between you and your deceased loved one that like yeah. you're following wishes that matter to them. Yeah. So even like something small like that, they don't have to you don't have to hammer out like, where's your life insurance policy? But, like, <laughs> you know, just like something like anything nice like that, you know, that makes it more comfortable for everyone. And um, it's important to get a will in order, of course, ahead of time. Um, but when it comes to actually someone passing away, the will is really only important for like financial type things um, or assets. But the disposition that is on a will, like if, if grandpa put, oh, I want to be cremated in his will, it's not enforced in many states. So um, even with prearrangements, they can be changed with like the next of kin's wishes at the time of need. So make sure you make good with your representative that's going to be taking care of your funeral arrangements because a lot of the times they can be changed. There's nothing that locks you into those things just because you set it on paper. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing we always hammer home is like getting a funeral representative if you don't think your next of kin is going to carry out your wishes uh there are documents you can fill out to make sure that someone who cares about you will take care of you when you die and it is literally the easiest paperwork you will ever do a lot of times they're like two to four pages super small you and that person sign it you have it notarized you call it a day it's very yeah. simple and you're illegal good to go and the final statement pre-plan for the love of god like just do it even if you go into the funeral home and just do what's called an info only file where you pick what you want you write it down you get a quote you don't pay anything on it at least it's something for your next of kin to go off of at least your family knows what you wanted so if you're feeling overwhelmed by all the information that we just gave you, imagine how overwhelmed you'd feel uh, at your first arrangement that you ever had to make. So hopefully this was at least a little bit helpful to kind of give you an idea of where to start and to kind of push you in the right direction of writing down your wishes and talking to your family and, and creating open conversations about death. I think the most important thing to remember, too, is that like you are not alone and this you're not the only person in the world that's ever gone through this. So... Definitely be sure to lean on those around you. Um, trust in your funeral director, your funeral representative. Um, you know, be able to reach out to, uh, you know, hospice and hospitals and the ME office if you need to. Um, all these people are here to help you. So you really don't have to do this alone. Like, it's going to be okay. And that's all for this week on Mort Mike. We'd love to connect with you guys on our socials. So like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at Mort Mike Podcast. It would mean a lot to hear your feedback, so tell us what you think in a comment and drop us a rating on whatever podcast hosting site that you might use. If you have any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear about or burning questions you might have about death, shoot us an email at mortmikepodcast at gmail.com. I also want to give a huge thank you to our friend Marcin for the use of his song titled Deputies of Death, which he produced just for our show. You can check out his Bandcamp at marcinmusic.bandcamp.com. Thanks, Marcin. And be sure to tune in in the first Thursday of every month for more casual discussions on death. Thank you guys so much for listening. This has been Mort Mike. Bye. Bye.